1: And today, we are wild about Wonder Woman. We are lassoing and unleashing your inner superhero. My guest this morning has written a book about one of my favorite all-time superheroes. And in fact, when I work with clients, I often tell them, pick your favorite superhero, get an, an action figure of that person or that, that hero, and, and keep it in your car. And I have on the dashboard of my car a little Wonder Woman because when I'm feeling low on energy, when I'm feeling like I can't do what I need to get done, I sort of manifest my inner Wonder Woman. And today... Travis Langley, Ph.D. editor of The Walking Dead Psychology, Psych of the Living Dead, and Star Wars Psychology, Dark Side of the Mind, is here to talk with us about his latest book, Wonder Woman Psychology, Lassoing the Truth. Travis Langley is a professor of psychology who teaches courses on crime, media, and mental illness at Henderson State University. He speaks regularly on media and heroism at universities, conferences, and popular conferences culture conventions, including San Diego's Comic-Con, New York Comic-Con, and Wizard World conventions throughout the world. Welcome back, Travis. I'm so happy to have you back on the show to talk about the ultimate, for me,
2: uh, hero. I, she is. Uh, I've used her as an example of you know a strong, healthy hero. Back when I wrote Batman and Psychology, A Dark and Stormy Night, people had no trouble getting why I was talking about the psychology of Batman. He is troubled. He has psychological issues, and his own enemies fill an asylum. Wonder Woman is a mentally healthy character. Her enemies are not that well known. In fact, it took t- me a little while myself, because I'd wanted to talk about Wonder Woman for a long time, because she is such a strong, powerful, interesting figure, but I wasn't sure what to do and what would appeal Uh, to people and what we wanted to say. And I I knew when the the movie was going to be coming out, my publisher was going to want me uh, to do something about that. In fact, my editor and I each on the same day decided that I should do a Wonder Woman book. But it occurred to me, she was created by a psychologist, and a a psychologist very relevant to the kind of things that that you're interested in because the things he was saying, Dr. William Moulton Marston, before he ever created Wonder Woman, He was accusing the field of psychology of focusing too heavily on what was abnormal. He wrote a book, The Emotions of Normal People. He was interested in looking at what's healthy, saying it's like we still need to look at the unhealthy, but it's hard to understand that if you don't look at what is healthy. That's a criticism of positive psychology when Seligman said we need to look at the healthy Part of human nature. And positive psychologists developed their ideas about character strengths and virtues. Well, Wonder Woman embodies them all, and she was a character that addressed every single one of those, but while still being interesting and, and very human, because that's one of the, the character virtues, too. And so there Marston was, back in the 20s and 30s, writing about things that positive psychologists are saying now, and he, he represented all of these in that character that he was writing about in the 40s.
1: And and Wonder Woman first appeared on the scene about 1941.
2: Is that true? At the end of 1941, uh, it was the the two parter. At the end of 41, started 42. You know, there's the, the debut of Wonder Woman. this character with mythological background raised on an island of women paradise island because marston felt that an island full of women is going to be a great place because as he saw it, women were better people than men and weren't going to have interest in the kind of wars that she discovered out there in man's world and then curious about the world wanting to see the world and also wanting to do what she could to, to stop war
1: she, she's fascinating. First of all, she was an instant sensation. I think it's really important to say that, that, that that this really resonated for people.
2: Yeah, she was not the first female superhero. She was not the first with some mythological background. Uh, arguably, she was the first deliberately psychological superhero, but yes, yeah, she was the immediate hit. Several people... Asked me about this. If I was like, "Well, a woman wouldn't have been taken that seriously as a hero back then." No, she was immediately one of the most successful with the most successful comics, multiple titles, and an immediate hit.
1: Let's talk a little bit about what she wears because many people have the image of <laughs> her as, as as being in a skirt, and it's my understanding she actually never wore a skirt.
2: There was. There was a skirt that was in the design, but it, it doesn't really show up. It was more pants-like, even at the very beginning. It was a very short, short pants. In the in the pilot, the Linda Linda Carter Wonder Woman movie, you know when she gets the costume, she's shown that she has this skirt that can go on it. She immediately sets it aside and then never wears that skirt ever again. So it, it was in the design, but that shit really wasn't what she was wearing for the most of her history. She was wearing what looked like a bathing suit. Now it has a bit more of a Greek warrior, Xena warrior princess look to it. A number of writers over the years have tried to alter her costume, but those changes would never stay, just like they would try to alter her origins, but those changes would never stay. I think the current look, what you see in the movie and the comics now, it stays because it goes back to the point of the character, the mythological origins, and find a way to do something that's even truer to the character than what had been there along the way. Uh it, it didn't always look quite as much like a bathing suit as a lot of artists have drawn it. But it was it was a matter of liberation. And there was something about H.D. Peter's art style back at the very beginning that m- gave it an innocence.
1: Yeah, Let, let's talk a little bit about carrying on with the costume. We can't forget the lasso. Let's talk about the importance of the lasso and its its symbolism
2: there is this magic lasso it's known as the magic it's known as a magic lasso of truth which is kind of a mistruth it is actually when it was first given to her in the comics as a gift from her mother it has the power to compel other people you lasso someone with it they have to do whatever you tell them to do but it's known as the magic of truth as the lasso of truth because wonder woman herself is using it to make people tell the truth she's not using it to make them do anything else to compel them to dominate them that's not her so it's her personality that turns it into a lasso of truth which it's interesting to note that her creator one of the things he was best known for was his involvement in the development of a lie detector (laughs) he's often called the inventor of the lie detector which is not accurate but it's not completely unfair either he had a systolic blood pressure method that he thought would detect lies, he was the expert in the court case that ended up with the ruling that lie detectors should not be admissible in court. So here he was with his science of detecting truth, and he made that part of the character
1: yeah I had also read about this about the about the lie detector, and I do think the the fact that Wonder Woman plays such a, an important role in sort of the the lassoing of the truth that getting getting to the bottom of the truth of the situation you know um, is really really important and let 's talk about um in general the psychological potential of comic books because this is really your wheelhouse this is what this is what you 're teaching and lecturing about, about all around the world.
2: In fact, uh, talking about the psychological potential of comic books is what got Marston his job in the first place. He was interviewed by Olive Byrne for Family Circle in that he talked about the psychological and educational potential of comic books. He was talking about their value in teaching lessons and morals and and building strength of character. And the publisher of the companies that would become DC Comics saw this article and said oh we need to bring this guy on as a consultant and there he is as a consultant then he gets the opportunity to create his own character and he's addressing the psychological potential in a very positive way shortly after he died within two years of when he died a psychiatrist Frederick Wortham he looked at the psychological potential of comic books in a very negative way he saw it as being harmful and teaching kids aggression and violence and he he told us Senate subcommittee that compared to the comic book industry, Hitler was a beginner. So after World War II, oh. <laughs> when psychologists... Yeah. That's an amazing quote. I've looked at the transcript to make sure people weren't mis- misquoting him. That's what he actually said. Over in Europe when psychologists were trying to figure out why after World War II there was an increase in juvenile delinquency, they developed attachment theory saying, okay, it's because the way family bonds had broken down, that's what's leading to this increase in juvenile delinquency. Over in America, Frederick Wortham said, no, it's comic books. Well, since so you asked about the potential. So, I mean, so the decades since then, I mean, there's obviously an influence, obviously inspiration. I use these fictional characters and especially the superheroes to talk about real psychology, you know, as examples.
1: Yes. Well, and when we talk about Wonder Woman and, and what she did, she was a reformer, right? She was not actually out to kill anybody.
2: No, Wonder Woman was not out to kill anyone. She was out to try to figure out how to stop war uh, Back in in the earliest stories, Superman and Batman were were more violent then, and, and later on it 's like all the this controversy people arguing about whether Superman would actually kill anyone in the movies. You know These days, some of the writers make Wonder Woman more likely to kill than them, but for most of her history she 's the one who was not going to kill she 's the one who was not going to hurt she She had very strong feelings that there 's always another way so
1: she was um... Maybe she was a, a bit of a, a, a an active pacifist.
2: An, an active pacifist—that's a good way to put it. You know, trying to you know stop the destructive things from happening in order to reach you know a world peace. You know, she left Paradise Island to go out there in the world when World War II was going on. And in the, the wonderful movie, they've made it World War One, and they have their reasons for doing it. Some people think it's just because, well, Captain America is a World War II movie. But also they wanted a war in which there, it was even blurrier on who's right about anything. In World War II, it's easy to say, okay, that side was bad, and these we were opposing evil. It's, it's murkier in World War I, and that's why they moved her origin to World War I for the movie. because It goes back to the point of Wonder Woman, is to, is to be amazed and appalled that these things could go on in the world when they don't have to.
1: And when we look at the time of Wonder Woman's birth, it was very much a male dominated culture, right? So there were there were superhero male superheroes, but not necessarily women that presented this image of being um, strong, competent, um, really standing up to the forces of the world in this this actively passive way
2: not in that way there were female heroines Uh, there were you know a number of characters mystery women adventurers and one woman was not the first female superhero she was not the first with mythological background she's arguably the first deliberately psychological superhero but she's the one who became the immediate hit when others like Phantom Lady and the black cats were not emerging that same way she was such a strong, confident character, sure of herself and comfortable uh, with, with a sense of humor and having fun in her adventures. And there was something about her that spoke to people.
1: The, the ways differences in culture and gender can contribute to alienation, but also personal empowerment. Because in in my mind, like Wonder Woman is like a righteous babe badass, right? She's She's amazing. She's on my dashboard, so she has to be amazing. Before we dash off to the break, I want to let our listeners know we're talking about Wonder Woman psychology, lassoing the truth with Travis Langley, Ph.D. To learn more, please visit TravisLangley.info, on Twitter at Superheroologist, and on Facebook, The Psych Geeks. Here come those tunes. We'll be right back. Like so many of you, I'm actively seeking ways to live a happy life. And learning new things supports lifelong growth and well-being. And that's why I love watching The Great Courses Plus, where I can learn more about anything that interests me from award-winning experts. I want you to discover The Great Courses Plus, too. So they're offering my listeners a full month of free audio lectures when you sign up using my special URL, thegreatcoursesplus.com slash happiness. Explore topics that fascinate you, psychology, history, art, even photography. The Great Courses Plus has over 8,000 video lectures to help make you happier. Stream them on demand from any smartphone, tablet, laptop, or TV. Even download the videos to watch offline I recommend watching the Everyday Gourmet, Rediscovering the Lost Art of Cooking, created in partnership with the Culinary Institute of America. It's like having a master chef give you your own private cooking lessons with great tips and techniques for both experienced and novice foodies. I'm watching this series right now and really enjoyed learning about different herbs and spices and how to use them to create perfect flavor in every dish. And right now, listeners will get a free month trial to watch any of the Great Courses Plus lectures by signing up through my special URL, thegreatcoursesplus.com slash happiness. Start your free month today. You'll love it. Sign up at thegreatcoursesplus.com slash happiness. We'll be back in a flash. We know that life
0: can be tough and that happiness can and does live alongside adversity. Connect with us on Facebook at Harvesting Happiness and follow Lisa on Twitter at Lisa Kamen for a daily dose of inspiration. We'll be right back after this quick break. Do you find yourself saying things like, I'll be happy when, or I'll be happy if? Does the finish line for happiness keep moving? Does the bar keep getting higher? It's a guidebook for learning how to harvest happiness through self-mastery, which is the key ingredient into building resilience, hardiness, grit, and emotional stability. Are we happy yet? Eight Keys to Unlocking a Joyful Life is available at Barnes & Noble, Amazon, IndieBound, and HarvestingHappiness.com. Each day we get to choose how we are going to show up for life. And at times, we need tips for strengthening our well-being. Learn training strategies for greater emotional fitness and improved mental muscle tone at HarvestingHappiness.com.
1: Welcome back to Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio. If you're just joining us now, I urge you to download and share this podcast. Why? Because sharing is caring. It's kind. It's free. It's legal. It's available 24-7. And we are talking about my favorite all-time superhero and that is wonder woman with travis langley
2: wonder woman is an interesting i think part of the popularity of wonder woman is that there is this fish out of water story she comes into the world with an alien view and so it's all new and fresh and we get stories like that, science fiction heroes who wind up in other worlds, characters who wind up in other times, your characters who visit our world, Star Trek, they go and meet other cultures. And you can look at the issues of our time, but with a different perspective from this one who is not part of that. So she comes in without predispositions to expectations and in viewing our world with a different point of view.
1: And when you look at the history of Wonder Woman, there was a period of time where she lost her power. So there's there's a, a very human element to her as well.
2: Uh, although that was not a popular period. Well, actually, it sold well. Danny O'Neill in the late 60s, when he came in to write Wonder Woman, he took away her powers. He took away her costume. And she was, she was Diana, Diana Prince, this adventurer for five years. And it's very controversial. When Ms. Magazine was coming out with their first issue and they wanted Wonder Woman on the cover, and Gloria Steinem found out that the best-known female superhero had been stripped of the super quality, she was appalled. And that helped stir things up, and, and DC made their change. Denny, very gracious. I did an interview with Denny for one of the chapters in this book. And Denny said, yeah, you know, he felt he was doing the feminist thing at the time to say that she can be strong and interesting without having to have those powers of the costume, that that's not what makes her a hero.
1: Well, when you look at that cover from 1972, the Ms. Oh. cover, the, the subtitle was Wonder Woman for President. So Gloria Steinem actually um, had helped get her powers back. And you see the the cover of this uh, magazine of her just sort of um, larger than life moving through the town, you know, peace and justice in 1972.
2: Yeah, we actually included a copy of that cover on one page in our book because I felt it was very important because that cover itself is an important piece of Wonder Woman history. You know, it became part of the story in helping restore her to her super status in the comics.
1: And then uh, also it's important to note that Wonder Woman, a.k.a. Diana Prince, held a variety of jobs besides the position of Wonder Woman.
2: You know, back in the World War II stories, she's briefly an Army nurse, but then she's a secretary to a general in Steve Forever. And that's what she did throughout those stories, through Marston's time. And then writers over the years kept giving her different jobs because they felt, well, she has a secret identity. She needs an occupation. She'll work for the U.N. That's what she was doing when I was a kid. She'll run a flower shop. She'll be a romance editor. And none of those things stayed because they didn't matter. That's not what Wonder Woman's about. She was also uh,
1: served as the justice. Uh, she served in the Justice Society of America as their secretary, which you know when probably she first
2: joined. She was she was their secretary. She was she was manning <laughs> down the fort while the guys were heading off to Europe to fight in the war,
1: which really was emblematic of what women were doing at that point, right?
2: It was. It, it represented what was happening in America. Women were, were it's Rosie the Riveter. It, we we bring up this about how she was the secretary for the Justice Society, but she was actually a very popular, strong member of the group. But when she first appears, it, 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 she's doing the Rosie the Riveter thing. She, she's she's holding down the fort at America, you know, keeping the job going while the guys are heading off to war.
1: What is your favorite? Attribute of Wonder Woman?
2: My favorite attribute of Wonder Woman goes to that word wonder itself. It's the, the wonder she inspires another, in the fact that she is an inspiration. It's, it's not just a sense of someone who is super, of someone who is going to be powerful and able to take care of things, but someone who can inspire. Could Wonder Woman fly? Through a lot of her, for most of her history, more often than not, she's been written where she has the power to fly. Not at the beginning. And there have been other spells when she didn't have the power. Personally, I think she works better without the power.
1: uh, Why? Uh, That's a good point. Why?
2: She didn't need it. She didn't need it at the beginning. The the Linda Carter TV show, she doesn't have the power to fly. Because keeping her grounded... As more of like, here's somebody who is human. It's like she's able to do all these incredibly strong, interesting things. It also gives her a reason to have the invisible plane. If she can fly on her own, why does she need an invisible plane?
1: Talk a little bit. You make a very good point. Talk a little bit about that invisible plane. <laughs>
2: Yeah, when uh, she first appeared in the comics, she had an invisible plane you know, from Paradise Island, and she she leaves with her invisible plane. Well, well, even though they have the mythological background, and there's a bit of seeming out of time and two thousand years behind, they actually had more advanced science than ma- out in man's world, and they they made they gave her a stealth plane, invisible plane that stayed with her until the mid '80s. Then when they did a, a reboot in the mid '80s, they took the plane away. And it stayed away until she had it for a little bit, for about a decade ago. Um, but they stayed away from the plane because she, well, she's had the power to fly since the 50s, usually. And it's also, you look at it, like you, it, it starts to seem a little silly. Think how many jokes people will make about the invisible plane.
1: Yeah, you, you make a very good point. I, I think what... Strikes me about Wonder Woman and why is she why is she so popular today? Is that you know she's ageless, she's timeless, she always looks good. By the way, you know which I think if we're talking about sort of manifesting that inner hero within ourselves, um, we we seek to identify with these characters that are are like always on point, but yet there's a very human aspect to them. In
2: fact, uh, of those uh, six virtues of positive psychology that we go through in the book. The one we go through last is humanity to say that ultimately for all the, the courage and the, the temperance and and the sense of justice that it is a crucial defining quality of this character is her powerful humanity.
1: Yeah the other day I was in the post office well a few weeks ago when the um, the new Wonder Woman stamp came out I bought a Bunch of sheets, and I gave them to my friends because they're just whimsical, delightful. But on the other hand, they really represent something that we all have within us.
2: We all have we all have the potential to do the right thing, to stand up and be strong, and to be amazed and feel that sense of wonder—not about necessarily someone else, but even, even about our own potential. In a male and Wonder Woman. And wonder when one brings that out in others.
1: Yeah. Um, let's talk about uh, in a male dominated culture, where does the hero who is not the man fit in while remaining a woman? I mean, because she's very much a woman, you know, she's attractive, she's curvaceous, she's strong. She's she, like, like I said earlier, she's like this righteous babe, but yet she is not. Um, she is not that man. She's very much a now woman. You look
2: at, yeah, you look at some of the people reacting to the idea of the heroine, or it's like, oh, that show it it, it has an all female cast, or you know, the or how dare they have a, a showing entirely for women of Wonder Woman, and and nobody seems bothered about it by the all male cast. But there are a growing number of people realizing that, you know, people like heroines, Buffy the Vampire Slayer, Gina, of uh, Gina, uh, Zena, Zena, <laughs> um, right. Zena, warrior princess. <laughs> yes. Yeah, Sarah Connor, Ripley, you know, they, they're strong characters who, who excite people, inspire people and can say, a woman is strong. A woman is interesting. And while the woman did not win the last presidential election by the Electoral College, uh, a woman was able to run and, and do an incredible job in that campaign. It is a different time. The 21st century is different and will keep changing.
1: And when we talk about um, the power of Wonder Woman or the power of that, um, that superhero that lives within each one of us, I think this offers, um, it offers hope, you know, a, a certain sense of hopefulness for tomorrow, belief in something better, and that we can do good.
2: And that's really what some people have asked me is, like, what do you think is the central message? That right there is it, the, the sense of hope and not just optimism about things getting better, but hope for people.
1: Yeah. And, you know, you are one of the top 10 most popular psychologists on Twitter. You have like a, a gajillion followers and people really are paying attention to what you have to say because, you're, you know, you're 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 putting um, psychology in a very user friendly um, way.
2: That's a, that has been important to me through all that we've been doing along the way. To say we all talk about psychology all the time, whether you realize it or not. When you say why did that person doing why is that person doing that, you're asking a psychological question. I I want to show that psychology can be interesting and fun, and people are intriguing. They are it's once again. Time, it's about time for me to go. I was just going to
1: say that. Once again, it's great to have you on the show, Travis Langley. To learn more, please visit travislangley.info on Twitter at SuperHeroologist on Facebook, the psych geeks. And the book is Wonder Woman Psychology Lassoing the Truth. Thanks for joining us again, Travis. Well, thank you. We're going to take a quick break, but before we do, I want to share one of my favorite passions with you, and that is cooking and eating great food. And for the past several months, HelloFresh, the fork to feel good company, has supported my busy family's mission to save home cooking by getting us off the couch and into the kitchen, cooking something great and delicious while making happy memories. Each week, HelloFresh creates new recipes so easy to follow that my teenage son has become our occasional chef. HelloFresh also offers light summer meals and new breakfast options. This week, my family feasted on tasty chicken parm salad and sweet and savory breakfast plum flatbreads. HelloFresh is the meal kit delivery service that makes cooking fun so you can focus on the whole experience, not just the final plate. HelloFresh delivers convenient meal kits right to your front door that will get you chopping, zesting, and cooking like a natural. HelloFresh employs two full-time registered dietitians who ensure all recipes are nutritionally balanced. HelloFresh sources the freshest ingredients packaged in exact quantities, allowing you to create a no-muss, no-fuss, and no-waste feast in under 30 minutes. And the best part is that each meal is less than $10. All of this edible happiness is delivered to your door in a special recyclable and insulated box that's free. HelloFresh.com has generously gifted our listeners a special promotion. Click on over to HelloFresh.com to place your order and receive $30 off your first week of HelloFresh. Create a little more joy in your life by visiting HelloFresh.com and use the promo code happiness 30 at checkout for $30 off your first order once again that promo code is happiness 30 here come the tunes we'll be right back
0: nothing gives happiness like a free gift unwrap your present by signing up for happiness headlines our monthly e-zine at harvestinghappiness.com stay tuned for more after the break One thing I know for certain, happiness waits for no one. And sometimes we all need support. We all have the freedom to be happy or the liberty to be miserable each day, regardless of external circumstance. Sure, things will inevitably happen in our lives that are out of our control. There is only ever one thing that is totally within our control, ourselves. When we have command of ourselves, we are better prepared to handle life and bounce back more quickly when challenges arise. Whether you see the glass as half empty or half full, the glass has the capacity to hold more. You have the capacity to be happier. The tool to harvesting your happiness is within your grasp. Are we happy yet? Eight Keys to Unlocking a Joyful Life is available at Barnes & Noble, Amazon, IndieBound, and HarvestingHappiness.com. Each day, we get to choose how we are going to show up for life. And at times, we need tips for strengthening our well-being. Learn training strategies for greater emotional fitness and improved mental muscle tone at HarvestingHappiness.com. Welcome back to
1: Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio, and we are wild about Wonder Woman today. We are lassoing and unleashing our inner superhero. The next half of the show is an interview with Dr. Philip Zimbardo that was originally recorded in 2014, a gem from the Library of Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio. Today we're focusing on heroism, but the heroism that occurs in everyday life. Not all of us go out and perform miraculous acts of courage and strength that save the world on a daily basis, but many of us in our day-to-day lives, perform little acts of heroism or personal acts of courage and valor that may change the outcome of something that was headed in the wrong direction, may save someone, or it may just be standing up in our own boots. To overcome a situation that has challenged us. And my guest this morning is Dr. Philip Zimbardo. He is one of the most distinguished living psychologists having served as president of the American Psychological Association. He's designed and narrated the award-winning 26-part PBS series, Discovering Psychology. He's published more than 50 books, authored more than 400 professional and popular articles and chapters, among them Shyness, The Lucifer Effect, The Time Cure, and The Time Paradox. He is a professor emeritus at Stanford University. Dr. Zimbardo has spent more than 50 years teaching and studying psychology. He received his PhD in psychology from Yale University and his areas of focus include time perspective, shyness, terrorism madness and evil he might be best known for his controversial Stanford prison experiment that highlighted the ease with which ordinary intelligent college students could cross the line between good and evil when caught up in <clears> the <throat> matrix of of situational and systemic forces. Dr. Zimbardo currently lectures worldwide and is actively working to promote his nonprofit, the heroic imagination project, or hip. His current research <laughs> looks at the psychology of heroism. Welcome Dr. Zimbardo. Thank you for joining
3: us. Oh thank you Lisa. What a great introduction. Uh, on the other hand, it makes me tired <laughs> thinking of all that work I've done.
1: <laughs> well you have <laughs> Certainly, um, created a, a very auspicious body of work, and I'm I'm grateful to be able to share you and your work with our listeners. Let's talk about the Heroic Imagination Project because, sure. in particular, this you know in the realm of happiness, well being, um, sustainability is um, a very interesting component that actually can generate a huge positive effect.
3: Yes, um, so so I'm very happy to share my um, ideas and especially uh, let your listeners know about our Heroic Imagination Project. Uh, Let me start back a few years ago. I was uh, privileged to have a public dialogue with His Holiness the Dalai Lama. And as you know, the Dalai Lama believes that... uh, uh, his goal is to spread compassion around the world, and with compassion, he is the model of perpetual happiness. Uh, my problem is, having grown up in a ghetto in the South Bronx, where evil is endemic, where there are bad guys whose job it is to get good kids to do bad things for money, uh, I began by asking him a provocative question. Does he believe that compassion alone is enough in a world filled with evil, doesn't compassion have to be socially engaged? Uh, and he kind of hemmed and hawed, and at the end he said, maybe. Well, my point is that compassion... Uh, here, here, here's um, uh, the, um, uh, the triad of, of action. So compassion is really at, at a foundation. Compassion is a cognitive process. Caring, caring about others, understanding others' suffering. And then empathy is the emotion component where you feel someone's suffering. Um, and then, but they don't change anything in and of themselves. They change the person who's the observer or the experiencing, uh, uh, experiential person. Uh, now, then, with those, uh, there is uh, happiness with, with those. Uh, there is um, altruism is, is a, a social action, but it's, it's a minimal action. You, give, you, give, you donate blood, you, you give money to your uh, uh, charity. Heroism, however, is the highest civic virtue. If, if compassion is the highest private virtue, heroism is the highest civic virtue. That means you're willing to make a sacrifice on behalf of other people. So heroism is sociocentric, and the enemy of heroism is egocentricity, uh, and you do that aware of risks and costs and dangers. So there are a lot of definitions of heroism. Mine is uh, it's an action, it's a behavior uh, on behalf of others in need, or it could be in defense of a moral principle. Uh, and The link between compassion and empathy and heroism, I think, is moral courage. Now, it's not clear how you measure it, but that's really the motivational state that links thoughts and feelings with action. Uh, And so this is the kind of thing we're trying to understand at the Heroic Imagination Project with research, with education. uh, and, um, And, of course, at the foundation of all of this, you put that together and this is the way you lead a positive, happy, fulfilling life.
1: Indeed. And I love what you say about moral courage because there is a difference in the types of courage. There is the courage that you are fearful of something. You go out and you do it anyway. You push through the fear um, and and go out and, and do some act. But the moral courage that you're speaking of is I think – What I'm hearing is about having the valor to stand apart, to stay Mm -hmm. true to one's uh, moral compass or true north.
3: Absolutely. Now, so the other thing, Lisa, is that heroes are always deviants. So that a lot of the work we do focuses on the bystander effect, meaning uh, to understand it and share these ideas that when you're in a situation and someone's in need – the more people present, the paradox is the less likely anyone is to help. That is, that's, that's the bystand effect. That is, you look around and if nobody's helping, the norm is do nothing. And so, uh, if you are, if you're the person suffering, the last thing you want is a crowd. You want one person, <laughs> one person around you and you say, you help me and the, and people will. So when we see the bystand effect, we say, gee, people, are uncaring, they're callous, not at all. So so that's the power of social norms. So that's one of the things I've been studying for, for years, that our behavior is so much influenced by the social context, by the social norms, by what other people are doing, by what we imagine other people are thinking of us. And we have to rise above that and say, it doesn't matter what other people are thinking of us. I have to do the right thing in this situation. I have to take action. And the curious thing is once you act, once you do a heroic deed, immediately, in seconds, you will be joined by someone else because you change the norm. The norm then is do something. Mm.
1: You say something. You just said something that I absolutely love. I think it's brilliant, is that heroes are deviants. Mm-hmm.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: And I, I, there is that, that's an absolute truth because what sets that hero apart is their willingness to act in some cases, without thinking that because it was simply the right thing to do.
3: Yeah. So, so heroes are positive deviant. I mean, obviously. A positive, yes. <laughs> yeah. I mean, obviously, deviants can be raggedy, raggedy, uh, you know, doing stupid stuff. No, but heroes are positive deviants. They they say, "I look around, nobody's doing this, and by doing it, I become a deviant." So we had this wonderful case in New York City uh, two years ago, uh, of this uh, African American, a man, uh, Wesley Ortree. He's a 50-year-old African-American man. He's standing on a subway in New York City. Uh, I think it was City College, 138th Street. I'm I'm an old New Yorker. And a a guy falls across the tracks. There's 75 people on the the platform waiting for the subway, and no one does anything. He's got a reason not to be involved. He's got two little girls with him. Instead, he turns to a stranger and says, please take care of my kids. He jumps down on the railroad, on the tracks. And what he has to do is yet this guy whose whose body is laying across the tracks meaning he will be cut in half when the train subway comes in and you know if you're in New York a subways come on average every 3 minutes he puts them between the tracks lays on top presses him down and at that moment the train goes over over them he saves the guy but it was only a half inch between the top of Wesley Autry's head and the bottom of the train which meant he would have been decapitated. So that's an impulsive, reactive hero. We don't promote, we don't promote that kind of hero because uh, that is not the wise thing to do. I mean, he could have jumped down, pulled a guy to the platform, asked for help, pulled the guy up onto the platform and saved his life. So the two kinds of heroes are impulsive, reactive, and the other kind is reflective, proactive. That is, you think about what to do and again in this case you got to think quickly but one of the things we promote at the heroic imagination project is imagining yourself in different situations <clears throat> what are the strategies you would use what are the skills you would yeah uh, are necessary and in many cases to be a hero you have to have skills i mean you have to you don't jump into a river to save a drowning child if you don't know how to swim well learn how to swim learn first aid uh, uh, you should. You should. Everybody should take first aid um, uh, courses uh, so that if there's an accident, you know how to do resuscitation and so forth. Uh, but the basic skills are really starting with. We call it situational awareness. In the ghetto, you call it street savvy, meaning in every situation you're in, you analyze what's happening. Uh, who who's involved, uh, who are the, who the good people, who are the potential enemies, uh, where is the exit, what can I do, do I need help, uh, ha- how can I organize a hero squad? So the other thing is we try to promote, get away from the old notion of, you know, the traditional male loner hero. And th- these were the heroes, these are warriors, these are, these are uh, you know, men who are prepared Uh, in battle to die in battle to kill in battle and that eliminates most women so women we know are much more effective in creating heroic networks so there's a whole history from the uh, holocaust of women who organized networks because they had to move jewish children from family to family home to home and then out of the danger zone so women because they are used to social networks are much more likely to be heroic uh in creating these kinds of hero ensembles, if you will.
1: We are going to take a break and we'll be right back. Who
0: says money can't buy happiness? Check out Lisa's new book, Are We Happy Yet? Eight Keys to Unlocking a Joyful Life, and other fun, fashionable, and inspiring items at shophappy at harvestinghappiness.com. We'll be right back after this quick break. Do you find yourself saying things like, I'll be happy when, or I'll be happy if? Does the finish line for happiness keep moving? Does the bar keep getting higher? What's getting in the way of your happiness right now? Too much going on? Working too much? Not working enough? Having too many responsibilities? Not having enough money, enough time, enough space? The list goes on and on. It becomes difficult to see all that we have if we focus on scarcity. One thing I know for certain, happiness waits for no one. And sometimes we all need support. Are We Happy Yet? is not another self-help book. It's a guidebook for learning how to harvest happiness through self-mastery, which is the key ingredient into building resilience, hardiness, grit, and emotional stability. Are We Happy Yet? Eight Keys to Unlocking a Joyful Life is available at Barnes & Noble, Amazon, IndieBound, and HarvestingHappiness.com. Each day, we get to choose how we are going to show up for life. And at times, we need tips for strengthening our well-being. Learn training strategies for greater emotional
1: fitness and improved mental muscle tone at HarvestingHappiness.com. Welcome back to Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio. If you're just joining us now... Please tune in to an earlier gem from our library recorded in 2014, where I sat with Dr. Philip Zimbardo of the Stanford Prison Project. Delighted to have in studio Dr. Philip Zimbardo. He is the founder of the Heroic Imagination Project, HIP, but he's also a prolific author, professor. He is a uh, professor emeritus at Stanford University, where he... Uh, did this amazing project called the Stanford Prison Experiment. And maybe we'll talk about that. Maybe we won't. Maybe we'll have to have you back to talk about that. But in in any case, he is amazing. He has served as the president of the American Psychological Association and designed and narrated PBS series. But we're talking about his latest project, which is about – defining everyday heroism in the 21st century you know what it takes to be a hero in our own life to go out into the world and perform these random loving acts of heroism and dr zimbardo during the break we 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 talked briefly about the notion of in addition to compassion that you speak of with the dalai lama this cultivation of love and how love creates heroism
3: yeah see again um having grown up in the South Bronx in the ghetto, having worked with uh, uh, really poor children in Brazil in the favelas, what you see is a lot of these kids never get touched, never get touched in an affectionate way. Uh, Nobody ever says, I love you. Nobody ever gives them a hug. So uh, when I visited uh, one of these um, in the favelas, um, uh, many women have a huge number of children because they're Catholic uh, and they don't practice birth control. And so when when there are too many children to sleep on the 8 by 10 piece of rubber on the floor, the oldest child go- gets sent to the streets. And the only way they survive is by stealing, robbing, uh, taking drugs, selling drugs. And they get arrested. They get beaten up by the police. But there's a place they can go to get a lunch uh, if, if they hitch a, a, a bus or a trolley. And I went to, to visit, and you know, while we were talking, having lunch with the kids, I said, hey, would you like to sit in my lap? And this was a, probably a 7- or 8-year-old kid. The kid was like a baby, just like melted in my arms. And it was clear this kid had never been touched. So that's what you've been saying, the power of love. And I'm sure if you had more time, you could, you could begin to talk to them about, hey, life could be different. Uh, talk about going to school. Uh, And none of these kids go to school. For example, the importance of education, the importance of caring. The other thing is, in all of this, so many children no longer have a father. See, mothers give love unconditionally. I love you no matter what. Fathers give love conditionally. You got to perform. You can't come home with a D. You got to get. You got to get good grades. You got to, you know, make the team, etc., etc. And now, sadly, in America, America leads the world in fatherlessness. So so it's a it's a major problem for boys. Uh, I talked about it in I gave a a talk at TED, and I wrote a book called "On the Demise of Guys," talking about uh, the uh, the failure of young men, and now this is true around the world, in part with the absence of a father to motivate them to succeed. They are failing in school, they are failing socially, and now and the alternative is they live in a world of videos. Uh, video games and and online pornography. And so they are socially isolating themselves. So it's a whole new phenomenon. So they they absent themselves from the human connection. So we can't give them love because they're stuck in their room playing video games and watching pornography.
1: You said something extremely important about fathers teaching us accountability right and i i i think that makes sense because in order to be a hero one must be accountable for one's actions for sure if if, if you you know play that out a little bit further down the line from a child as he or she is growing up if they've never learned these skills of how to be accountable then how can we expect them to go out in the world and perform these everyday heroic acts for, even yes. to show up in their own lives, let alone for someone else.
3: Yes. So, again, it's it's I'm trying to, in quote, normalize and simplify the whole concept of heroism. So, and essentially, we want to say, what are the social activities that are associated with being an everyday hero? So we call it everyday hero, ordinary hero. It's it's little acts of kindness. It's little acts of caring. It's little acts of – it's almost like the Boy Scout motto, taken, taken to the extreme – it's it's what you do automatically every day In every situation i go in i look around who can i help uh, so one of acti- so we have a whole set of activities on our website that you mentioned earlier HeroicImagination.org, called social fitness make somebody feel special every day this week. That's that's an assignment for, for your listeners. How do you do that? You give a compliment, a justifiable compliment, uh, and you start with something external, you know, h- how lovely that scarf is and makes you look really e- e- even more lovely. Uh, uh, I like what you said about that. I, you, you tell wonderful jokes. Um, you know, so you make people feel, and how do you know it works? They smile. And they say, thanks. Mm-hmm. Nobody gives compliments. Why? Because it feels awkward. But again, Uh, it's putting into practice these very simple ideas. So it's really being a deviant (laughs) by, by being a hero in that sense, it's being a deviant. And so, and then you build, you build up on it. Um, uh, that each day you think of what can I do, for example, to make somebody smile? So that's one activity, make somebody smile with or without a compliment, Uh, but it's really noticing other people. So when you go into a situation, instead of being egocentric, saying "Will people notice me? Will they like me? Will they think I'm smart? Will they think I'm a cool guy?" You go in saying, "Who needs my help?" You look around. There's always going to be shy people. You know, I did a lot of work on shyness. The world is almost half filled with shy people. So who's sitting in the corner? Yeah. So one of the keys is to be uh, alert for situational awareness. That in every situation you go go in, so for example, any time you go into a new uh, public venue, you always check the exits in case there is a fire. But psychologically, instead of just checking exits, you check the entrances, you look around, you see who the shy, who the shy people, who could use a compliment, who could use a smile, who could use a, a friendly uh, uh, touch on the shoulder, who could use a handshake. That's being a positive deviant. And I think that's, for me, that's one of the keys to being a successful uh, everyday hero.
1: And and practice makes permanent. You know, the, when we start to take this on as a practice and create everyday awareness and commit to these very simple acts on a daily basis, it just becomes habit. And it, be, and, and it, it inevitably raises the bar of our own mood and the moods of people around us.
3: Absolutely, Lisa. So it, it's really building the social habits of heroism. You see, the traditional view of heroes are people who did one uh, glorious uh, deed of bravery uh, in a battle. Uh, um, But essentially, really what you want to get is people building daily habits of heroism, little things you do every day, deeds of kindness, deeds of caring. Um, It's putting the Boy Scout oath into daily practice, for example. Uh, So so this is what we want to encourage for everybody to be um, on the path of social training in heroism
1: which creates a more civil mannerly reverent society and i bet if you were to do a long-term study on this that you would see i mean the the effects would be huge you know crime would go down, um, there would be a lot uh, less health problems probably because there'd be a lot less stress in the environment it, it It is a very simple concept that has huge repercussions, positive repercussions.
3: Yes, yeah, so again, it's really the lovely link. I know it in all the work you're doing it's really the link between what are the changes in individuals that get reflected, expanded into social communal changes. So by changing individuals' orientations, by changing their values, by making individuals more happy, uh, valuing their life, valuing nature around them, you create a communal spark that that builds happiness uh, in the whole community.
1: And the kind of happiness that we're speaking of, of course, is one that is sustainable. It's it's a level of well being that uh, breeds peace, contentment, uh, compassion love, um, a greater overall sense of being a healthier individual and being in a, in, in a healthier society. So I think it's important that we that we clarify that. But the other thing I want to talk about is this, this notion of heroism in young and old, that what you're speaking right. of is not just for children, that this is something that can be taught at any age to any group of people.
3: Oh, for sure. Yes. See, again, because we are view of heroism has been, you know, from the classics, from Agamemnon, from uh, samurai warriors, uh, from, you know, the the battlefield or first responders. It's really been based on uh, bravery, based on uh, physical courage. And we're talking about moral courage that anyone can have, that people at any age could do heroic deeds. Uh, and that's why we're focusing on everyday heroes, ordinary people who Do extraordinary things as part of their everyday life.
1: And what it does for the person who is performing these small, everyday acts of heroism is tremendous i mean it's also what we're doing for society We're, you know we're creating right. a culture that is as it is elevated in morality elevated in in positive emotion but it can also be a useful tool for the individual who may not be living a very happy life to make a commitment to adapting this as a practice to shift to shift uh depression to shift um uh, up being in a victim consciousness woe is me you know i call it the, the proverbial pity party where they're right. not happy right. with their lives
3: you know? <laughs> wow. Yeah. See, again, what's sad in America is so many people live alone. In fact, that, that percentage is increasing almost annually. Uh, and living alone means you don't have somebody when you come home from a hard day at work to give you a hug, to give you a greeting. You don't have anybody to cook for. So, so adopting this everyday heroes, hero orientation means that when you go out into the world – you make that world better by smiling, by giving compliments, uh, by giving a handshake, by simply saying, hey, is there anything I can do for you? Uh, it's to, really, it's to break that social isolation uh, barrier that, that, that people build around themselves. Uh, you know, you just look at people on a subway, you look at people on a bus, no one's talking to each other. It's as if there's a sign, not allowed to talk. In fact, it doesn't make sense. Uh <laughs> You know, we, sh- we should all be talking. We should all be sharing. We should all be smiling at one another. Happy to be alive.
1: Yes, and very happy to have you with us today. We are out of time, but you will be back. and we I will be to- back. You will be back, and I-, I-, I offer you a virtual hug because you have made my day. Dr. Philip Zimbardo, to learn more, please visit Zimbardo.com or HeroicImagination.org on Facebook Dr. Philip Zimbardo, and on Twitter, Phil Zimbardo. We have flown through another hour of purpose-driven media designed to inspire and delight you, our listeners, to create more joy in your lives and within your communities. Here are a few thoughts before we part. Happiness is not a destination. It cannot be bought, sold, or traded. Happiness will never invite you to the party. It simply comes down to a choice to show up each and every day in the world with passion, purpose, place, and meaning. Thanks for joining us on Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio. This is Lisa cypress Cayman and my guest today, Travis Langley and Dr. Philip Zimbardo, wishing you kind thoughts, kinder words, and the kindest of actions. Until next time, remember, happiness is an inside job. Happiness is your inside job. Go out and rock your day.
0: Thanks for joining us on Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio with Lisa Cypress-Kamen. Join us each and every Wednesday for a brand new episode of consciously curated talk radio from the heart. Keep harvesting your own happiness anytime from the comfort of wherever you are with hundreds of free downloadable podcasts from our libraries on TokiNet, iTunes, and SoundCloud. In a complicated world seemingly driven by nonstop negative news, Lisa's mission is to celebrate the upside of life and seek the silver lining of our challenges by transforming them into uplifting growth opportunities for all. To learn more about Lisa's global consulting services, please visit HarvestingHappiness.com. Spread more joy by liking us on Facebook at Harvesting Happiness and following Lisa on Twitter at Lisa Kamen. Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio is produced in collaboration with Toginet Radio, KBUU, RadioMalibu.net, and is available on PRX, the public radio exchange.